The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Happy Wednesday, everybody. We're back on the Bengals podcast here at the Orange and Black Insider. I am Anthony Cazenza, and I'm joined by John Sheeran. John, it uh, sounds like you've been having a good week. You're coming off a good weekend as well. Uh, tell us, what, what what's new, man? How you doing? Nothing much is new. Um, I, what is new, I, I guess, is fantastic summertime weather here in Cincinnati. It was like 72 yesterday. Took a walk alongside the Ohio River. Some more great weather today, and at this time, right before the sunset, no blaring noises from any cicadas. I think they have all um, gone <laughs> to their 17-year resting spot, so I'll see them in 2038. But nice. other than that, things are good here in Cincy. How how are things in LA? Uh, it, it's all right, man. Um, got some not so welcome news about my my arm injury this morning, so. I'm just kind of trying to keep my head up on that one, but uh, otherwise it's all right, man. Can't complain overall. Just, just grinning and bearing, you know what I mean? So uh, we, you know, I know this is not necessarily the, um, the, the busiest time in terms of headlines, in terms of news, because the Bengals cut out of practice a couple of days early and, you know, they're, they're taking a little time off. We are, not really doing that, but there's still kind of a lot to talk about. We're going to go through a couple of headlines that we didn't necessarily cover on the water cooler chat, as well as give some further opinions on it. Definitely want to hear John's take on some of these things. We are going to be talking about the t- tight end group tonight. We're going to continue our positional previews, and then we've got to state your case talking about the wide receiver group, and uh, that'll that'll be this week's show hopefully you caught last week's show with Lindsay patterson that was a ton of fun she was great um we uh we had a lot of fun there and um you know we're we're doing a lot of fun things i guess uh john did zim and ace have t higgins mom on the show on their show uh this this week last i don't know wednesday i i think that was announced uh, on twitter earlier this week i, I it might be happening as we speak because uh, i don't know for a fact what their schedule is but yeah i think 
I think that is in the works or it's in the works right now. And they previously had Chris Evans on, I believe, mm-hmm. for their last show. So definitely check that out if you guys haven't. Orange is the New Black, one of our three podcasts here on the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. Yeah, and get that wherever you get your show on your favorite audio streamer. And, of course, you can subscribe to this YouTube channel by clicking that icon right under John's, right around his microphone, the way his uh, his camera is positioned right now. But let's kind of let's let's get started with some of these headlines we'll talk about it look i'm not a fan of i I said this on the water cooler chat i'm not really a fan of arbitrary lists and how that comes about but there were a couple of rankings lists that came out especially as it pertains to the quarterbacks especially as it pertains to joe burrow i guess do you want to start with the negative one first john or the the more positive one how do how do we want to how do we want to start off the show what kind of note do we want to start the show off with Let's start with the quote-unquote negative and, and see. Let's let's get okay. some perspective here from a certain analyst. Okay, so let's we'll get that pulled up here in just a sec. This has to do with Chris Sims. Now, Chris Sims was uh, was in the league for a while. Uh, was largely a backup. Actually, kind of had, if I remember correctly, a couple crazy injuries. But now works for NBC Sports. Does a lot of stuff with Pro Football Talk. Has his own podcast, a nationally syndicated podcast. And I'll share this here, John. This is uh, this was written on Cincy Jungle by Jason Markham. But basically, according to his rankings, he has Joe Burrow ranked 17th. Now, there are times uh, Sims kind of likes to do the little bit of the shock value thing with with some of his rankings, and sometimes that shock value is actually something that makes a little bit of sense, and other times it's just kind of stirring the pot to stir the pot. It would seem. What do you make of this one where where Joe Burrow's ranked 17th among NFL quarterbacks coming into this year? Well, for starters, Chris Sims is the king of quarterback rankings. I remember he was Mm -hmm. on the Dan Lebitard show a few years ago, and they made the whole thing about, you know, who's his 15th ranked quarterback. And it was a controversy about Aaron Rodgers or even Carson Wentz overtaking Tom Brady inside the top three. So I know for a fact that Chris Sims pours his heart and soul into these rankings and it's done entirely by his own accord and his work. So I'm not questioning the legitimacy of it. Um, I think with Joe Burrow, I think at at this point, 17 out of 40 total quarterbacks in these rankings, it's not bad by any means. He only played in 10 games. We haven't seen a full season out of him. A lot of the things that we like, you know, he, he showed it for the most part in his rookie season, but we haven't seen it over the course of a 16 and now going forward a 17 game season. And he definitely did have, his best games against some of the best competition, particularly against the Ravens and against the Steelers on on the road there. Like there are some sore spots in his early and small NFL resume, but there are definitely a lot of things to like so far. So from a national analyst who his whole job is to go over every single NFL quarterback who has a chance to play and start this year. I think 17 is is about a fair ranking. I don't think you can Hmm. go much lower than that without having some type of vendetta against them. But, you know, I, I wonder what a Detroit Lions podcast is thinking about this list when they're seeing Jared Goff rank 31st behind Mac Jones, who may or may not even start for the New England Patriots. So <laughs> it can definitely be a lot worse for Bengals fans and Joe Burrow. Again, a lot of things to like about him. Still a lot of projection because you're going off the quarterback that he was at LSU. You've only seen 10 games of him in a Bengals uniform. Obviously, the, the trajectory is going upwards and there's a lot of promise there. But 17, I, I wouldn't exactly say 
to throw this list in the trash because of that. I, I agree with you on that point specifically. Uh, the the number 17 ranking, it's not absolutely outrageous, especially with the 10-game sample size. He's coming back from injury, all that kind of stuff. I get it. Here's where you lose me, and I'm going to highlight this a little bit. Maybe behind these names. That's where you lose me a little bit. Um, and, and again, maybe I'm just picking nits here by doing that. But, uh, you know, I, I, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Tannehill has had a nice career resurgence. I have to give credit there. He has, he has really had a nice, he had a couple nice years in Miami, but it never really uh, came to th- true fruition there. And then, you know, he, he's really turned things around in Tennessee. But, I mean, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, I mean, I guess there's a little bit more in terms of a larger resume, and maybe that's what builds it. But, I mean, I guess if you're going upside, I guess if you're going off of what you saw last year and where things are headed, the trajectory you mentioned, I would think that a Joe Burrow, there would be a pretty decent argument for Joe Burrow to be ranked ahead of at least Cousins and Carr of those three names. And I think the grouping is accurate. It's almost like you have a group of four or five quarterbacks that you think are, are that are all, you know, pretty much in the same bucket. The differences are pretty marginal in terms of talent and production, pedigree, experience. Like her cousins, I think nine out of ten analysts would take Joe Burrow to start a franchise with over a guy like her cousins, largely because of age and upside. But her cousins quietly has been one of the more efficient quarterbacks in recent NFL history. And he, that's, there's a reason why Minnesota gave him an 100% guaranteed contract. There, and there's a reason why, you know, a lot of fans wanted them to draft Justin Fields to look towards the future because, you know, the Kirk Cousins that we've seen is more or less the Kirk Cousins that you're going to get. And Joe Burrow has the promise to be something much, much greater. But I think just if this was if this was more about putting them in, into tiers and having them as a, a non-ranked grouping, I think it's a little bit more digestible in that sense. Whereas with Derek Carr... Again, very similar to Cousins. The efficiency is there. He's not going to make a ton of mistakes, but are you really getting the most out of your team when your team is quarterbacked by that of Derek Carr, who's entering year eight, and you're seeing articles on ESPN.com about there's no more excuses for this guy. It kind of reminds you, Bengals fans, about the time of Andy Dalton. So I think it's it's these quarterbacks that are in that kind of purgatory perception that you're seeing Burrow with, and you in in your mind, you project it as more of a negative because they're listed below them. But I think if you look at it more as they're in the, a tier of this talent, these are already established quarterbacks that have gotten second contracts that have, and have gotten support from their respective front offices. I think that actually bodes really well and speaks highly of what Burrow has done in just 10 games. I'm actually a little surprised at some of the comments in the live chat. We've got Matt D saying 17th is right from what we saw last year. Obviously has the potential to be much higher. Uh, Rob Duncan says due to what's on tape and paper, Sims probably isn't too far off, but I'll have to disagree with this take on Burrow not being 100%. Um, and then we've got uh, Justin Money 513 saying Joe Burrow still has a lot to prove. And I honestly think he wouldn't have it any other way. So a little bit of a surprise in terms of not necessarily blasting Chris Sims there and uh, go, go check out his list. I think he unveiled the list on his podcast there. So go check that out. And of course the article on cincyjungle.com. Let's go to the more positive one. PFF has Joe Burrow just on the outside of their top 10 quarterbacks. So, and you look here, this is relayed from Patrick Judas on Cincy jungle, but basically this is, 
on the expected points added, the difference between the expected points at the start of a play and the expected points at the end of a play. Uh, EPA is the measure of a play's impact on the score of the game. An individual's player's EPA is the sum of the EPA of the plays in which that player was directly involved. Being directly involved is defined as an offensive player who ran through or kicked the ball, was targeted by a pass, or flagged for a penalty. But Burrow comes in 11th, 16th in EPA, 13th overall in Bayesian rankings. Um, so what do you what do you make of this? Or is this more just kind of, well, uh, sounds nice. <laughs> I get it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's complimentary. But what does it all mean type of thing? EPA is the ultimate and the best measure of efficiency in the game of football nowadays. Uh, there is metrics such as completion percentage, touchdown interception ratio and pass rating is like a formula that has those two kind of baked in into it. And they've done the job for a long time, but now we're at a point where we don't just have to look at the touch that the touchdowns, the interceptions, which account for maybe, you know, 20% of a quarterback's total resume. And there's more context that goes into completions and incompletions. And that's what EPA does. It gives you the best snapshot of a per play performance for for quarterbacks and for basically anybody on offense and when you look at burrow who was on pace to throw for nearly 700 attempts if he had played a full season mm-hmm. to still be in right at the league average 16th mark in terms of epa and the fact that he didn't throw for a, a ton of touchdowns his touchdown percentage wasn't that high compared to the, the, the amount of attempts that he threw for like i think that is actually pretty impressive and i think the ranking kind of reflects that you know, overall, the production was pretty average because you did have some rough games, but you did have some great games towards the end of his healthy season, specifically against the Colts, the Browns, the Titans, that three-week stretch, the offense was cooking, looking like a top-five unit that definitely upped his overall um, resume and his production compared to the first five weeks when it took was more of a slow start, which is expected. He was a rookie. So I, I think this ranking is also fine because it's a combination of the PFF grade which I think he was 11th in terms of PFF grade, in, in, at least in this ranking and this grading scale, which again is a measure of how you perform on a per play basis and whether you're making the right decisions and, and you're avoiding mistakes. So Joe Burrow was playing smart football and towards the end of his season, he was playing more efficient football and that's where this ranking kind of comes in. So very accurate based off the eye test and also with what the numbers are telling you. You said the magic word there, efficient. And I think that's that's the Joe Burrow's efficiency in some of these games and a lot of the games he played really points to this eleventh, uh, this number eleven ranking on this PFF quarterback ranking scale and and playing into the EPA. I mean, you look at what he did; it was it was rough at the beginning of the game, but you know, yeah, you can make the argument it, some of it was maybe quote unquote garbage time. But the first Cleveland game on Thursday night. He, he played really well towards the end of that game. He was making a lot of plays in the Philadelphia game. You mentioned that three-game stretch. I mean, there, there, there are a lot of games in there where you go, and it, especially when he was getting streaky and you could tell he was feeling a groove, um, he became very efficient. And, yes, it wasn't, you know, five, always five touchdown pass games or that sort of thing, but there were times where it was just the, the offense was moving and he was, he was hitting – passes with high percentage and he was very efficient with the football you know for a rookie quarterback there wasn't a ton of interceptions a ton of those 
you know, almost as many interceptions as touchdown passes type of thing, you know, like a, like a Peyton Manning type of thing, especially for the volume of attempts that we saw. So I think all of that plays into that, you know, whether he's 11th, whether he's 17th and how you gauge all of that, you know, that's kind of up to you probably somewhere in the middle, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, I think, I think to me, the thing that stood out, with all of this is what you, the word you use in, in terms of efficiency. And that's what we saw out of Joe Burrow's play in a large number of games in which he was healthy. And he's always going to be compared to Justin Herbert naturally. And people are comparing him now. I think there was a debate on good morning football with like, who would you take going forward? And Herbert in, the, in these rankings, I think was 10th in terms of grade and fifth in EPA, which means that Justin Herbert was playing the same relatively mistake-free football as Joe Burrow, but he was completing on more deep passes. He was getting more explosive plays, which upped his overall efficiency. So Burrow was doing the things that Herbert was doing, but he wasn't getting that production on the deep ball, which is was an obvious deficiency, and they've done a lot in terms of trying to correct that this season. So once that starts hitting, because it's a very hit or miss, it's not ex- exactly a stable metric to measure from year to year, if that starts going in the other direction, then you're going to see that efficiency improve and you're going to see him naturally rise in the rankings. And then when his volume production increases, when he's in the 4,000 yard passing ranking and range and he gets that Bengals passing yardage record, which isn't going to be that hard for him to beat, he's going to see a rise in the Chris Sims rankings too. Yeah, Rob Duncan doing some homework for us here. Quote, Burrow had the fifth best, this might have been from the article itself, uh, had the fifth best passing grade, 92.5 when targeting throws 10 to 19 yards downfield, but he ranked 32nd out of 36 qualifying quarterbacks on 20 plus yard throws. And to your point that you just mentioned, John, the Bengals, are, that is the point of emphasis of the offseason, particular, I mean, obviously for the offense, but really just as a team mantra, spending the number five overall pick on a wide receiver that they think can stretch the field, trying to do some things, not the splashiest of ways, but trying to do some things to improve the offensive line from a coaching perspective, from a personnel perspective. And then, of course, Joe Burrow, even through the rehab of his knee, strengthening his arm and looking like he's putting a little more zip on the ball and working on that. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't think we'd spend that much time, but it was an entertaining conversation talking about those two lists. We'll quickly go through a couple of others here. Uh, this one just made me feel sad and a little bit validated as well. And I will put this up, but this is basically another PFF metric showing that the Cincinnati Bengals are literally, I think you wrote this one up, John, literally having the worst luck in the NFL when it comes to injuries. And uh, I'll, I'll let you kind of, I'll pull this up here. I'll let you kind of talk a little bit about this, but essentially it's not only just severity of injuries, it's, you know, obviously the missed time from all these, all these guys, but the, the quality of players that they are losing is is really kind of the crux of all this. And yeah, I guess that makes it obvious And when you're talking about the worst luck. But I'll let you t- talk a- about it a little more. But this was a 10-year uh, kind of scope that they used here. Uh, but why don't you tell us a little bit about it and give us your thoughts on <laughs> when you when this came across your desk to write about, what did you, uh, what did you make of this whole thing? PFF um, has been messing with and tweaking with their own wins above replacement metric. It, it's something that um, baseball fans know in terms of saber metrics, w- wins above replacement war. Um, it's relatively new 
in terms of football. It's been around PFF for, for a handful of years now, but they're starting to do some more things with it. And one thing that they did, I think, last week is that they tried to combine wins above replacement and try to put in perspective the amount of wins above replacement value that teams have lost due to injuries. And they've named it wins above replacement adjusted injuries lost with the abbreviation of whale, which yeah. is very fitting. <laughs> I like that and one. Yeah. That, that's the, that's the whole, that's the whole crux of this. Like every fan base thinks that their team is, is snake bitten and always has injuries at the wrong time. And every team does go through a similar amount of quantity of injuries but not every team loses the same amount of quality of players to injury. And that is what this study um, basically detailed at. And of the 15 worst seasons in terms of player value lost to injury over the last, I think, nine years, it goes back to 2012. The Bengals have three of the, of the top or I guess mm-hmm. bottom 15. And that has equated and, and added up to the most amount of player value lost to injury, um, I believe, in the last yeah, nine seasons going back to 2012 with the Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers coming in second and third. Specifically last year, the Bengals 2020 season, it, it just made the list as, as the 15th worst season. And the top two worst seasons also came from last year from the San Francisco 49ers when they lost Jimmy Garoppolo mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, Nick Bosa and among other players. And the Dallas Cowboys had the second worst last season with Dak Prescott and, and all their injuries. And that was actually interesting because in the study, it showed that last year was the worst uh, year in terms of total league whale injuries, loss, whatever you want to say. It was the worst season of the study because of you know no preseason, no offseason programs. Injuries just happen more often and they happen to happen to more prominent players. And I think only a fraction of that hap- was because of the COVID-19 list, but it was a lot of just players just getting injured at a more frequent rate. So now that there's a more traditional offseason going forward in, in, in this year, that those injuries and those numbers should start to decline. And hopefully the Bengals see a reverse in this. Like this isn't something that's supposed to be repeated every so often, but the Bengals are one of the only two teams that have were on the top 15 list twice. And it really does kind of make you think this team is a little bit more unlucky with injuries because of not just how many players are getting hurt, but the quality of players that are getting hurt. You look at look at last year. You lose your your number one overall pick, your starting quarterback for six and a half games, right? You lose your two top, two of your top free agency acquisitions. I think DJ Reader gave you what five games, six games, um, and then he was done for the year, if that. Then you didn't even get a snap out of Trey Wayne's. And then another guy that you were relying on potentially to start on the offensive line, Xavier Suofilo, missed the, the majority of the season. So your major free agency, outside free agency acquisitions, and your starting quarterback, your number one overall pick, missed a significant amount of time. And oh, by the way, your starting left tackle, a top 11 pick of a couple of years ago, he missed another six games after missing a full year the year prior. So it's just, it's like, you know, you look at just last year, like you mentioned, you go, wow, what I said, and and I've been thinking about this since I, w- I was on the water cooler chat yesterday, what I really went back to is really, yes, it speaks to the lack of success the Bengals have had over the past handful of years since they had that run, but go back to that run, John, that, that five-year run where they kept making the postseason and 
there were times, there were seasons. I mean, you can go to 2015 and how that season ended with Andy Dalton on the sideline, broken thumb, didn't get to play in the playoff game. He's hurt, right? You go to 2014, the year prior, when they made the playoffs and played the Colts. Basically, everybody was hurt in that game. There was nobody healthy for that game. So it's not only just, yeah, it's plagued them to not be successful over these past five years since their playoff run. You could go back and say it really affected their play, their ability to make a playoff run, a deep playoff run in some of their best seasons, 2015 included. And that's really kind of one of the more disheartening aspects of this for me. Yeah, 2005 and 2015 will always stand out because of the injuries to Palmer and Dalton against the same team, unfortunately. It was interesting yeah. how... Um, the Bengals 2013 team ended up highest on the list in terms of uh, of wins lost due to injuries. I, I if you can refresh my memory on this, like it was Geno Atkins who got hurt in the middle of the season. I'm so, I'm trying to remember who else of importance got hurt in that season because I remember like that that playoff game. Like most players were healthy for that for that game. I think aside from was Marvin Jones out of that game? No, he. That's, that's what I'm looking. I, I'm looking to see. I, I know Marvin Jones had missed some time early in his career. I know Mohamed Sanu missed some time early in his career as well. Um, so maybe that's some of what uh, what was plaguing the team. So 2014 is is when um, Marvin Jones missed the entire season. So 2014 mm-hmm. there. Uh, so yeah, and he played 16 games, and so it might have been Sanu. Let me check Sanu here. Uh, he might have been the guy that got hurt that year and uh, lost some time there, but yeah, I, I would have I would have expected 2014 really to be kind of the the year that was up there in terms of lost uh, lost time. Now Sanu played 16 games that year too, huh? Okay, I my mind's not working the way it should, but uh, obviously there were some <laughs> there were some significant injuries. But 2018, I mean that's obvious too. That made that was like the 10th uh, season, worst season that included Andy Dalton missing like the last six games, included AJ Green playing his um, uh, missing half that season. And I think there were some other injuries too. So again, like 15th, 10th, seventh worst season, only one other team, the Arizona Cardinals was on this, on this list twice. It's not something that like it happens that often to any other team and other teams, they have just as bad, if not worse seasons of injuries lost, but the amount of times, that's happened to the Bengals, including six of their last seven, I think, first-round picks, missing at least some significant time in their rookie season. It's a trend that it's got to be bucked at some time, and that's why I think with Jamar Chase, there's so much high expectations for him. I think him just making it through 17 games would be a success on its own. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Chase. You can't really mention Chase without John Ross and all the missed time there, right? I mean, just over the past couple of years. So, yeah, let's quickly talk about this one, and then we will get to the position preview in the state. Your case here. You wrote this one up on Cincy Jungle. Jesse Bates sounds committed to the Bengals amid an, uh, amid extension talks. So they are there are the Bengals are talking about how they want this to be a priority in terms of extending Jesse Bates. He is a guy who's been extremely productive since joining the team in the second round a few years ago, and they want to get a deal done before he hits free agency next year. Very very valuable player on this team. Probably need to look to that Justin Simmons contract as kind of a baseline here, but here's the deal. Not only has Jesse Bates said and done all the things a leader does this off season. And, you know, he was kind of one of those ringleaders of making sure the Bengals get good attendance at the, the OTAs and whatnot. Um, he has kind of assumed a leadership mantle with guys like Geno Atkins now 
being shown the door. But uh, here you go, John. Quote, obviously, I feel like I'm a core piece in Cincinnati. This is from Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com. My family is three hours away, so I would love to be here. My main goal is to take that next level. And I keep saying as a leader on this team, the money part of it will come. I just want to win. That's all I care about is winning. The money part of it will come, not just for me, but for everybody in this program. So he sounds like... You know, I want to I want to get this contract and the money will be there, but uh, I want to get this contract and help this team win. I think he is in his mind committed to staying here. I think they've obviously shown commitment to him, appointing him as like their new representative on the uh, for the Players Association. Mm-hmm. Him being just 24 years old and as one of these core players from the pre Zach Taylor era, like you have to like you can list them on just one hand. Like you have Joe Mixon, CJ Uzoma, Sam Hubbard. Jesse Bates, Tyler Boyd, I'm sure I might be missing one or two more, but like th- those are those are the veteran leaders of this team. And most of them aren't really in their 30s and like they're still in like their primes. And there's no one who's better than Jesse Bates. Like you have to go back to 2015 for the last time that this team rostered an all pro of any kind. And I think that was like when Geno Atkins was the first or second team. Jesse Bates, he missed first team all pro this year. He was like 11 votes shy of it somehow but he was still had enough votes to get to become a second team all pro. And that hasn't happened in six years. He's a rare player for this team. And that there's a reason why I think Malik Wright said that he is priority number one in terms of getting extended this offseason. him and Sam Hubbard. You can expect both of those deals to happen. What that deal looks like. I think you mentioned Justin Simmons, like he was paid 61 million over four years with like 32 guaranteed. That's the, that's the benchmark. Like I think 32 million total guaranteed was exactly how much AJ green got. So there is, a precedent for this type of structure and this type of money. And Jesse Bates hired one of the more uh, aspiring and rising sports agents in David Molagetta. So he's got a lot of high profile clients, including Deshaun Watson. So let's see how that turns out with him. But like Jesse, he knows he's going to get a bag. And I think the Bengals are more than comfortable doing that based off of everything that they've said and everything that, that, that they've done. And it would be in their best interest because if last season is any inclination, he's, Going to be the best deep free safety in the league for a while. The Bengals have been pretty good in recent history in terms of securing their core players before they hit free agency. They did it with Vontez Perfect a couple of times. They did it with Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins. Um, they did it with their wide receivers. I think AJ Green. You know, I mean, they've they've done it. So, uh, and this is really kind of one of those guys. They did it with Tyler Boyd a couple of years ago, I think, too. So. Um, you know, I, I think this is the guy that they are focusing on right now, and I, I I expect to get it done, especially when Bates has some things to say about that. We didn't get to touch on that on the water cooler chat, so I wanted to make sure that we talked about that a little bit. We're going to transition into the position preview for the tight end group. But before we do, we want to tell you about Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L. This is the stock market for sports where you can buy and sell and trade teams like it's the stock market. If you play fantasy football, if you are a sports better, this is not betting. This is more of a stock market type of scenario. But if you are into those types of things, you're going to love Symbol, especially with the OBI promo code that gets you a $10 deposit bonus when you sign up. S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P backslash O-B-I. Tell them a little bit more about it, John, if you don't mind. Yeah, so Symbol right now, as of this recording, June 23rd, 2021, it features every NFL, NBA, 
an MLB, MLB team featuring their own specific price. And that price changes based off you guys, the users, and, and how much that you buy and sell each team at their current price. We've talked a lot about the Bengals price over the past couple months now. It actually went down compared to last time I saw it. It is now sitting, mm. I believe, at $56.56, mm. which is just below the Kansas City Chiefs price and just above the Tampa Bay Buccaneers price. Last two Super Bowl teams, Bengals smack dab in the middle of it. But there's some movement going on with the Bengals. Might, might have reached its peak in the low 60s, but still, you know, it's interesting to see where that goes. Cincinnati Reds, I believe, are just under $30 and one of the handful of teams with a winning record with a price that low. Reds were on a little bit of a hot streak last time we talked about them. I think they've cooled off a little bit, but again, this is more of the long term. If you believe that the Reds or the Bengals are set up for success in the long haul, Definitely use the promo code OBI to get your $10 deposit bonus to get on some of this action. And I believe starting next Thursday, July 1st, college football gets into the game. You want to bet on the Buc- the Buckeyes or the Bearcats going forward in the positive direction for the long term. Definitely check out Symbol for the college football market opening up July 1st. You said it with the long-term play with this thing. You know, this isn't necessarily like a fantasy football thing where, hey, I got to put this guy on waivers. I got to make this transaction. This is a long play thing as is playing the stock market in real life. So uh, good stuff from Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P backslash O-B-I. John, I'm going to let you do the honors to kick off the next in our series of positional previews. Right. So last week we started off with cornerbacks position where we kind of know starters the backups and i think we can transition to that equivalent on the offense which is tight ends a position group that doesn't really get talked about that much because nothing really much to talk about there's one starter his name's cj uzoma some people thought he was going to get cut for cap purposes but that was never going to happen because uzoma is a very valued guy in the locker room he's a valued leader he's got one year left on his deal still at a very affordable price and before he tore his is Achilles last year, he was on pace for like 60-something targets. He was the recipient of Joe Burrow's first touchdown pass, and by all accounts in the offseason program, he's at 100%. He's fully ready to go forward as the starter, but there's still Drew Sample back there. Drew Sample is entering his third year. Time flies. He's I, he, he had some production last year as the starter when Uzoma went down, but we're still looking for that jump into a starting caliber tight end. Um, hopefully, in, in entering his third year, I think he's like 25 now. There's a little bit more of a jump in his athleticism. But you know that Uzoma's going to start. You know he's going to get the majority of snaps. You know that Sample's still going to get opportunities in a rotation or even on the field whenever they go into 12 personnel with, with two tight ends. The real question here is, does Thaddeus Moss take that third and potentially final spot? We can talk about, are they going to keep three? Are they going to keep four? Is it smart for a team that plays through our receivers more often than not to keep four tight ends rather than three? And if so, I guess the real question is, what does Thaddeus Moss have to do to take that spot away from a guy like Mason Shrek or Mitchell Wilcox, who was an undrafted free agent last year? And what do the guys who are undrafted this year, the new additions, Pro Wells, Cheyenne O'Grady, what do they have to do to potentially make them keep four or do they beat out Moss altogether? So I guess the conversation really does start with Moss. What does he have to do this preseason to really assert himself and, and take that job for his own? That's the big question. And he has something in his corner that not only seems to be a theme with the last two years and what the Bengals have been building on the roster, but really you can go back to the Carson Palmer era and point to a similar thing. And that is rapport. That is 
building around a guy, building around your franchise quarterback with guys in which he is comfortable. I mean, you could see that the Bengals, uh, you know, I don't want to bring up the Carson Palmer stuff too much, but I mean, the Bengals placated a lot to Palmer in a lot of ways. I know there were some free agency issues and whatnot, but I mean, they brought his brother onto the roster. They did try and replace TJ Hushmanzada with a couple of different players and uh, to, to not success to no success really there. But I mean, the point is that, that Thad Moss has the rapport with Joe Burrow. And that, that is, I know that's, that can be an overstated facet, but to me for Thad Moss, this has got to be, that's got to be the biggest, uh, biggest feather in his cap in terms of hanging onto a roster spot. And if he can prove that he still can bring that same kind of connection and bring a comfort level for Joe Burrow as he comes back from the injury and is a nice player to have to work the middle of the field. If he shows up nice in the preseason, he's a guy that could, that could, you know, sneak a spot for sure on the roster. This, the tight end position in general is one of my, one of my favorite positions in, uh, in football, just because these guys just are, are, some of the most athletic looking guys and athletic guys in general on a football field. And they create the most mismatch uh, type of nightmares for opposing defenses. I, there are, I'm looking at this, at these names, I'm, I'm putting them up here. I had some, some hopes for some of these guys and it has not materialized. And I'm looking specifically at Mason Shrek and Mitchell Wilcox. Mitchell Wilcox was a guy that intrigued me last year as someone who, you know, caught it, caught some touchdowns, with the university of South Florida. And maybe I thought in a weak position group, he could have latched on. Um, that's, that's, we'll see what happens this year. I don't, I don't know that he has, I don't know that he has much of an advantage now, as opposed to a guy like Moss, maybe a, a little bit higher athleticism, but again, the rapport, the comfort level that Moss can potentially bring Joe Burrow. That's that can't be overlooked. And then, of course, Shrek was a guy I, I was really excited about, even as a seventh-round pick a handful of years ago. But it's just not worked out, be it from injuries, not being able to climb out from the bottom of the depth chart. And I think, unfortunately for him, time may be running out when you have Wilcox, when you have Moss, and maybe even a guy like Pro Wells, who uh, was a, was an intriguing guy out of TCU that the, the Bengals brought in here. So, um, you know, I, I like Uzama. Um, I like some of the progress that Drew Sample showed last year. There were also still some familiar issues. Big year for Drew Sample coming up here. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know what this group is really going to look like. And I mentioned this on the water cooler chat, John. That you know, I think, I think we're all pretty familiar with the stat now. The Bengals, I think it was around seventy-five percent run the uh, the eleven personnel, which is only the one tight end out there. So. Kind of to your point, do you keep three? Do you keep four? We know that the tight end, yes, it's a valuable target in this offense, but in Zach Taylor's system, which is an adaptation of the McVay system, tight ends fall down the pecking order to these talented wide receivers. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what what this group will really be be looking like in a couple of couple of months here. Yeah, and I think long term stability or long-term outlook is very much in question because you have Uzoma entering the last year of his contract and I think you still want to feature him as your main tight end but I think depending on how the season goes and really you know how he does and how the rest of the offense goes I, I do wonder if you see more 
of Drew Sample as the year progresses to see if he's kind of the answer for the future. Because in a year's time, then you'll have Drew Sample playing in a contract year. And do you really want to pay him a second contract if he doesn't take that next step as a receiver? And that wasn't really something that we saw from Uzoma until like the last year of his rookie deal, or maybe the first year after he got extended. It, t- it takes a while sometimes for tight ends to really assert themselves as you know reliable and consistent receiving options. So I, I, I think early in the season, it's just going to be Uzoma with, with some sample sprinkled in, kind of like what we saw last year. But um, yeah, I, I think that, that stability right now is something that you can count on. It's just the long-term outlook that's more or less in question. And then in regards to that third spot, well, spoiler alert, we have a roster projection dropping on CincyJungle.com on Thursday morning. And j- j- just to let everyone know, I do have Thaddeus Moss making it as the mm. third option because you, you, you have to factor in the connection with Burrow. You have to think that that spot is really going to come down to, okay, who does Darren Sims really prefer on special teams, right? Like that, that seems like Moss's best chance of actually making it is that he just shows up and, and performs and does his job on kickoff teams, on punt teams or whatever, which is something that Mason Shrek has done for the better part of four years now. But at the same time, you can't ignore that Mason Shrek, who's entering his fifth year in the NFL, he doesn't have a single reception in the regular season. Now, a lot of that is due to injuries and lack of opportunity of being a seventh round pick. But at a certain point, like how can you convince yourself to just hang on to this guy who has done next to nothing in half a decade in the league when literally Burrow's best friend is on the team? And I know this was the reason why everyone wanted them to draft him in, in the fifth or fourth round or something ridiculous like that. But he's here now. He's on he's under contract for two years and he's got the exact role that he's that he has. You don't need to keep four tight ends. When you have an offense with four capable running backs and six or seven capable receivers, you're good. You're good. Just keep one, decide one, and really, I, I don't think Mason Trek has much of a leg to stand on. And it'll be interesting to see if some of these undrafted guys actually step up. I think Cheyenne O'Grady, I'm not sure why he was dismissed from Arkansas in 2019, but he was pretty dominant when he's on the field. And he took a and he unfortunately did not get an opportunity to play in 2020 when he entered the NFL draft. So technically he is a rookie, but He's got a year of just working on his body and, and progressing as an athlete to see what he can do. He could surprise and turn heads in training camp, but it's going to take a lot for some of these guys to do more than just to, to take over from Thad Moss because Thad Moss has something that none of them have. Well, Grady's an enigma for sure because of the reasons you mentioned, but you, you can tell that John and I have been doing this show together for a while because he and I are a little bit on the same wavelength here because he mentioned the special teams thing. And that's where I was going to go next as we talk about shaping this group, this position group. Who's Darren Simmons going to pound the table for here? Who's going to do things on special teams for him? And I look at the, I guess if you want to coin it, the Seathan Carter factor. Seathan Carter was a guy that Darren Simmons liked a lot on special teams. He's gone. He was kind of an H-back for this team at one point. Tight end, H-back, that sort of thing. Who is going to be the most like that? Who's going to do the things if called upon on offense and who's going to do the special teams duties that Seathan Carter uh, was tasked with. Um, so I think, you know, from an H back perspective, you can, I, I think you can make an argument for maybe a Moss or something like that. But um, you know, I think that that's something we all have to kind of keep in mind in terms of who's going to make that, make, make that role, for themselves on special teams, particularly when they're getting offensive auditions in the preseason. 
Pretty much. And again, it'll, it'll, it'll be three, probably not four, probably just three. And if it is four, then I guess you can just keep Shrek for that purpose and maybe make that Moss a, a healthy scratch every week. But three to four is the expectation. And then again, like no no NFL team, none of the 31 teams are going to be eyeing in on, on the tight ends that don't get opportunities here. If you want to keep a pro Wells on, on the practice squad, if you want to give Mitchell Wilcox another chance and give him another year in the practice squad, I'm sure whoever they decide not to keep, they'll stick around and they'll have at least four to work with on a week to week basis. And then the injuries are going to happen, especially at the, at the tight end position. Like we saw yeah. with Uzoma last year, I think your sample has remained relatively healthy for the first two years, but you know, it, it's a tough position to stay healthy and, and you, and you need some depth, but and this offense doesn't really need too many bodies. And I think they have enough to enter the regular season with and be comfortable with. I mean, unless he's a total liability on special teams and just doesn't, you know, just doesn't seem to have this stuff at the pro level and it's glaringly obvious. I'm kind of almost at the at the mindset of, you know, if you're talking about Thad Moss as your third or fourth tight end, you're keeping him on the roster. It's kind of like, why not? Right. I mean, based on. I mean, what, what, really, what what's the harm there if if he can prove to do some things on special teams, and um, is is somebody just you know down the pecking order can make the occasional catch and and he makes Joe Burrow more comfortable as as a quarterback. It's kind of like, well, why not? I mean, at, especially with some of the names, you know, there's not a lot of high draft picks on there. There's not a lot of other you know high profile names in which he is competing against uh, for for a potential spot. And if it gets Randy Moss in the stadium watching games, <laughs> there you go. There's, there's some promotional impact. I think he's number and he's number 81. So you yeah. have a you have a 2010 Terrell Owens jersey at number 81. You can get a number 81 Thad Moss pretend it's Randy Moss jersey for the Bengals. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I like it. Well, that is the tight end group. And keep your eye out on cincyjungle.com for the early roster projection. Projection, I think you are putting that out, correct, John? Mm-hmm. Um, so keep your eye out for that dropping Thursday. Those are always fun and bring about entertaining discussions among fans and in the comment threads. So be sure to check that out. We're going to get to a state your case in just a second. Uh, We will be continuing the positional previews over the next handful of weeks, going over each group and uh, seeing what what we think about each of the players in those respective groups. But in case you're new to this program, you can always join us live as we record the show on our YouTube channel, on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. We also stream live on a couple of different Twitter accounts, our Orange and Black Insider Twitter account, as well as the Cincy Jungle Twitter account. So join us live on any of those platforms. Otherwise, you can catch the show afterward again on our YouTube channel, again on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, or on your favorite audio streamer, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the biggies. We're there, the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, our show, Ace and Zim's Orange is the New Black, Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk. They're all part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. Go subscribe, not only to our YouTube channel, but through your favorite audio streamer. Leave us a review if you can as well, hopefully a positive one, so uh, we can up the visibility of the show a little bit. We always like that. We love uh, our ego stroked a little bit, so check <laughs> check it out how you can. And uh, we appreciate all of the support as always. Well, I've been marinating on this one for... I don't even want to say how long because now it's probably going to be just a, a, a dud of a, of a state your case, but let's get to it. All 
obviously Jamar Chase, the number five overall pick, is uh, you know the guy that a lot of people are saying, hey, he's going to be the next stud wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. He is going to be. There is very little doubt in my mind. Actually, I was having a conversation. I think it was with my brother the other day, fellow Bengals fan, and I said I am way more confident. And if you were to go back at, and I liked John Ross and I liked that pick when they, when they made it, but if you were to go back at my confidence level in the career trajectory of John Ross and the Cincinnati Bengals compared to Jamar Chase at number five overall, it's, it's night and day. I'm far more confident in Jamar Chase being a, a very productive member of the Cincinnati Bengals than I was with Ross. That's not what the case that we are stating here tonight is about though. I am and this has been building really over the course of a, a past few weeks based on reports, based on stories. And I'm going to share some things on, on the screen that folks can hopefully, uh, hopefully some things will resonate here. But I tend to believe we teased this a little bit on the listener question show last week. I tend to believe that T Higgins might be this team's most productive wide receiver next year. And that may not be a huge stretch because he's in year two and whatnot, but there are a couple of reasons why I believe that. I think, you know, when we talk about catches, potentially yards, touchdowns, that sort of thing, I think T. Higgins is poised for a breakout year. He had a really nice rookie season, and I'm going to tell you why I believe that. And I'm going to share a couple of stories that I found on cincyjungle.com that have been coming out now, Joe Burrow. This was from last week expects a quote, big year from T Higgins. You go and you say, this is, this is from Marissa Contepelli and whatever he's quote. You can see a big difference in T Higgins this spring. T has worked on reshaping his body this off season, getting stronger and losing a little weight quote. We have some horses on offense and I'm real excited about T's going to have a big year. That's from Joe Burrow. Let's tack on to that. What Lindsay Patterson said on our show about T Higgins telling people, yeah, I'm 220 again this year, but I'm a different 220. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. You mentioned, John, there was a deep ball that Joe Burrow threw in practice that uh, he underthrew T because he remembers what T Higgins long speed was last year. And that has seemingly increased. That brings about another dynamic that could have T Higgins breaking out and doing more in the long game here. Here's another one that came about on cincyjungle.com. This is this is from a few weeks ago. Praise for T Higgins keeps coming in. This there there's players, there's all kinds of Tyler Boyd. Higgins looks like a completely different player than last year. CJ Uzama uh saying looking at T now I'm like dude you're a monster right now you fit the mold of what you should be and you're going out and you're doing what you need to do. So now you've got a guy 66364 six, still 220 a different 220 John. And here's the thing I'm going to share this last cuz I want to hear your thoughts on this too but this you saw even with Joe Burrow going out of the lineup with an injury. You saw some things towards the end of the year that still showed that T Higgins could be productive with a marginal. Let's just, <laughs> I mean, Brandon Allen, Ryan Finley, whatnot. There is still some production in here with the passing game, basically being nowhere even close to what it was going to be uh, with, with Joe Burrow here. Um, if he was healthy, I mean, yeah, there, there wasn't the 100 yard games here. Yeah, the game that Joe Burrow left, there's there's some paltry stats, but you still look, five catches, five catches, five catches. 
Then you go down here, six for 99 and in the amazing couple of catches against the Houston Texans. You're seeing a couple of double-digit yards per receptions here, and things are – and then, of course, the unfortunate injury against Baltimore to end the year that would have potentially got him a 1,000-yard season as a rookie. But my point is in bringing all of this up, Higgins had some production with Joe Burrow out of the lineup. Higgins is reshaped his body and everybody's noticing it. And he is showing it even in limited practice form. So I am inclined to think that Jamar Chase, next gen stats say he's going to be the most productive rookie wide receiver in all of the NFL. I still think Higgins is going to be the most productive wide receiver on this Bengals team come 21. There is no argument that I can present that could debunk any of that. Like anything that I could say, it would just be in support of Chase and who he is as an individual and his history with Burrow and the fact that he is taking over for AJ Green and a lot of the plays are going to be designed for him. But ultimately, like this offense is set up where the ball is going to be going on all all different areas. And Mm -hmm. when talking with um, Tim McGee back in December, this was before – you know, Jamar Chase was even in consideration for the Bengals, or we even thought about him as an option. It, the conversation was, okay, A.J. Green is leaving. The next step, naturally, is T. Higgins taking over as the number one receiver and what he needs to do to really assert himself with that. And, and Tim talked about, you know, he's going to be facing tighter coverage. He's going to be facing coverage for more, you know, prominent number one cornerbacks. He's going to be facing potentially bracketed coverage from safeties over the top. It's going to be harder for him to stay productive in that new role. That's not the case anymore. He's got the same role as he does last year. It's just there's another receiver that's not A.J. Green taking over at X. So he's in the same exact role, facing very similar coverage. He's always going to see single coverage when Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase are on the field. So the opportunities are going to be there. And then you look at what he did last year. Of, of all the rookie receivers last year, he finished third amongst like the 17 receivers with like X amount of targets in yards per out run. The only two higher are Justin Jefferson and Chase Claypool. And I think Higgins had a, like a higher average depth of target compared to just Justin Jefferson. So there were targets that were more towards down the field and he didn't always connect with Burrow on those deep balls, but he still was really productive with the routes that he did run. And in terms of facing man coverage, I think PFF in, in terms of their data, his grade against man coverage was second to Justin Jefferson as well, like 85.2 against man coverage. So he was productive against tight coverage and he's going to see that exact same coverage this time around because they have a dominant receiver opposite of the formation of with him and Jamar Chase, who's going to be drawing attention on his own. Everyone's going to eat in this offense. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if T. Higgins is the one that ends up eating the most just by a smidgen compared to Jamar Chase. I still think Chase, and I think you could agree with this, is going to get his, and he's going to produce if he stays healthy. But it also comes down to how is Higgins going to improve? And I think when you hear that Higgins is 220, you're thinking, okay, I don't know if this is exactly a good thing or not, but the fact that he, I think he had 17 contested throws towards coming his way. He only caught like two of them. I think him actually gaining strength while not losing any speed, actually getting faster and quicker, that's only going to help him be, be more productive in this situation, in this situation. So his overall production ability in tight man coverage is only going to increase and that's going to increase his trust of Joe Burrow. So Hundred percent. If he if T Higgins is leading this offense in yards and touchdowns, I, it wouldn't surprise me if this offense was still as good as it was or it would be if Jamar Chase is leading those categories. It's not even. This isn't even a discussion. Like I, I Chase will be up there with stats as well, 
I mean, and he very well could end up leading the the Bengals in most receiving statistical ca- categories here this year. That that's not. I still think he's going to be very productive. I'm looking at T though for the reasons you mentioned, for the reasons I listed, and say, I, I just I see a big year for this guy. I and and I feel like we've said this maybe three or four times on this show. T Higgins was 21 years old last year, uh, so this is a guy who's still still growing, and obviously. We have commended, and rightfully so, we have commended Joe Burrow. We have commended Zach Taylor and company for really focusing on the deep ball and you know Joe Burrow doing his workouts, Zach Taylor getting players to help the Bengals be more efficient with deep passing. But then you hear a guy that T. Higgins, a guy that really isn't known necessarily as, hey, he's the, he's the big 80-yard home run threat. Yeah, he can go deep a little bit. But most of his ability, at least that we saw in college and last year, was a little bit more, I, I'm good at, at the deep ball because I can out-jump defenders. Well, now it sounds like, based on the reports, that he has worked on his speed. So now there is an element of potentially outrunning certain defenders that are on him. Maybe, to your point, some of the ones that are a little bit lower on the pecking order depth chart-wise because coverage is going to be bracketed to Jamar Chase. Coverage will be at some points. Tyler Boyd will make some plays, and obviously defenses are going to have to adjust there, and all of a sudden maybe more things open up for Higgins. So I just I, – I see and just kind of gut feeling – a big year for for 85 this year and uh it's great to see that he has taken this offseason workout very very seriously just 22 years old too and i just want to clarify real quick i I mentioned that he had 17 contested um targets and only two contested catches that was against zone coverage against man coverage he was also targeted like 17 times and caught 10 of them so in total he had 35 contested targets caught 12 of them which doesn't sound too great but it was still fifth amongst qualifying rookies but again if you're stronger and you're faster and you have more experience and timing with your quarterback i would imagine that production increasing uh and again he still brings a lot of the other skills that drew him that drew the Bengals to him the size the ability to you know make catches at, at a lot of different parts of the field and of course the high pointing of the ball the making the contested catches i'm sure that'll improve based on what you're talking about there but that is this week's State your case. I feel, and I think John is in uh, large agreement with me to a certain extent, that T. Higgins could very well be the team's leading receiver in most major statistical categories. So that's what we got this week. Let's get out of here, John. Drop the mic and uh, we'll we'll jet on out of here. What are some final sentiments you would like to leave us with before we? It's been a quick hour, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna hop out. What do you got for us? Just one final sentiment, a pretty big one. Happy birthday to our own Zim Hude. I don't know if he's turning 25, 35, or seventy five because he's got the wisdom of a wise old man, but he's got the vigor of someone my age. So however old you are, Zim, doesn't matter. It's just a number. Happy birthday to one of the most electrifying guys I know, one of my closest friends in the Bengals community. Hope it was a good one. Yeah, happy birthday, Zim. I found out late today on that one. So happy birthday, bud, and hope it's a good one. Hope you're spending it with friends, family. Uh, Definitely a very popular guy and for good reason amongst Bengals circles. 
I don't have all that much because I was going to wish Zim a happy birthday as well. I will say there, there are two two other little things I want to mention. Go check out. I, we, we talk about him a lot on this show. Go check out some of the videos and stuff from the Jungle to the Hall stuff that Bengal Jim, Jamie, James, and a lot of other people put together. Willie Anderson was in person in Canton. It was just seemed like a really cool event. And uh, I, I said this a couple of times, you know, it was Jim's birthday over the weekend. He's, he's a dad. He's celebrating father's day. He brought his family to this thing. So it just shows his dedication to the fan base and dedication to the team and his passion for all of that. So it was a cool event. Go check out the videos and pictures and all that kind of stuff, not only from his account, but all the people that were there. Um, I've seen a few, I haven't seen a bunch. So if you, if anybody that listens to this show, if you've got some stuff, you've been there, uh, shoot it over to us. We'd like to like to see it. And then John and I have, uh, now officially begun doing some in its infancy stages, uh, doing some planning on the, uh, charity Bengals charity event that we're going to be throwing together here, where we're going to grab a couple of, foundations from current and or former Bengals players. We're going to, we're going to identify those and uh, we're going to give out prizes and stuff. We're going to set some lofty goals in terms of raising money, but we feel like we've got a decent amount of viewers that watch the show live, watch the show uh, afterward or listen to the show afterwards. So we're going to rely on some help. I know it's been a challenging year for a lot of charities, at least through 2020 because of the pandemic probably challenging for a lot of different people in that same regard, but uh, these charities need help. These are great figures in uh, Cincinnati Bengals history, so we're looking forward to that, and we're going to have some fun with it. So John and I are going to flush out more ideas with it, but um, I think we're, I think it's going to be a fun thing, John. It, it should be fun, but there are still some things that we need to work out, but you know, this is a show that's driven by you guys, and I think your feedback and your suggestions are for also sure. important with this as well. So um, in, in terms of the like method of payment, in terms of how you guys would like to donate, um, any suggestions on that front would be great. We've we've thrown out the idea of creating like a Venmo account. Um, a GoFundMe was also kind of mentioned. We don't really have that much experience with this. So if, if anyone has any suggestions on, on what would be the easiest thing for us to do and, and for you guys to donate, we, we're definitely all ears for that. And also... Maybe help out with the name. We, we've also kind of, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we've thrown out some some ideas, but you know, in terms of the name, it would be helpful to get a good one to get to get it promoted and get it out there. So, um, anything that you guys can think of, we're definitely all ears for it. Yeah, we've got some good ones. You know, some of which we've had uh, some players of which we've had on the show. We've been lucky enough to have them on the show, um, and some others that we have not. And we're also trying to tr- tie in this whole Ring of Honor thing. Right. So some of these some of these players and foundations we've identified kind of tie into that. So we're looking to kind of blend some past, present, ring of honor, all of that and raise some some decent amount of money that will make an impact for all these charities here. So um, we we look forward to that and we look forward to your help. But thanks, everybody, for tuning in live. Thanks, everybody, for downloading after the fact. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Gazenza. Enjoy the rest of your week. Take care. We will see you next time on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast.